Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, tedhart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. Hey, thanks, Steve. I appreciate that kind introduction. This is Ted Hart, and you're joining me here on The Nonprofit Coach. I come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Tuesday, October 19th, and as I said, this is a nonprofit coach, and as always, we start with page one. First up here on uh, page one, comes to us from social media today. I want to draw your attention uh, to nine ways to build a Twitter community with substance. I get lots and lots of questions about Twitter, and of course, like everything else, people want it to be quick and easy, and if I turn it on, I'm going to have lots of followers, and I'm going to make lots of money using Twitter. And it just doesn't work that way, but it is a significant opportunity uh, for those who spend the time to earn the social capital and then wisely spend that capital. You'll find in today's radio links at tedhartradio.com a link to this and all of the other links uh, here for page one. And start off, if you want to use Twitter, by starting right at search.twitter.com. What you're looking for is where are all those people who are on the Internet who care about things that you care about and start following people. Start tweeting even if nobody's watching. Look at other people's lists and start following those who follow those conversations that you think are important. Jump into conversations that look interesting. You've got to be a player. You've got to provide content if you want anyone to be interested uh, in joining you. So there are nine really good tips coming to us today from social media today. You'll find that over at the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is a reminder that you can call in to our live show today, uh, page two. Uh, today you can call at 347 324 
3080. As always, we're over in the chat room. I can see some folks starting to arrive over in uh, the chat room. Uh, so you can ask questions there. And if you're shy, you can email me at tedhart at tedhart. Uh, com. Don't miss the opportunity today to uh, ask a question of our page two expert. I'll be introducing her in a few moments, but today we do have an e-governance expert from Board Effect, and that's Dottie Schingliger, who is here with us today. So don't miss the opportunity uh, to speak with her live here on the Nonprofit Coach. Next up here on page one are five tips for developing a global friendly website. These come to us from Mashable.com. So check it out over in the radio links at TedHeartsRadio.com. Now I've got something very exciting to, uh, to share with you today, uh, and that is uh, uh, the opportunity to tell you that uh, my firm, TedHeart.com, uh, has been nominated uh, for the second annual Classy Awards. Now, if you don't know about the Classy Awards, check it out over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Now, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, to have Scott Chisholm uh, with us today, who is the founder and president uh, of stayclassy.org and the Classy Awards. Scott, are you here on the Nonprofit Coach? Hello, Scott. So I've got Scott here. Scott, are you uh, here with us on the Nonprofit Coach? I'm here. Can you hear me? Ah, there you are. Hey, Scott, how are you? Thank you so much. Uh, I have to say the Classy Awards are uh, new to us here on the Nonprofit Coach, so we're just becoming familiar with this. And I, I see on the link that we have at the radio links today at tedhartradio.com that you already have 80,000 votes. Now, Scott, walk us through this. Uh, again, we're thrilled to be nominated. Uh, tell people how they can vote for us, but more importantly, what are the Classy Awards? Well, the Classy Awards were established last year um, by our company, stayclassy.org, and a few other um, companies in the nonprofit arena. And it's, it's simply a way to um, recognize and highlight some of the most outstanding philanthropic achievements across the country. Um, last year we did it just in Southern California and had a little over 20,000 votes um, from people across the, really across the region online for their favorite nonprofits, businesses, or individuals who had done remarkable things. This year we decided to expand it with the help of um, NBC across the country into eight different cities. And as you can see, the voting has, has really taken off. Um, to kind of give you an overview, there's a nomination period originally where anyone's able to nominate their favorite business, um, charity, or individual. And then the online voting period starts, and that's what's going on right now across the nation. People are able to sign on to stayclassy.org or classyawards.stayclassy.org and simply make an online vote for, uh, cast their ballot for whoever they think is the, uh, is the best. And then at the end of this week, it rolls up into the national vote where the top uh, candidates in each city will be competing against each other for the national prizes. And those will be announced at the actual Classy Awards ceremony on November 7th in San Diego at the Civic Theater. 
Well, so that's exciting. So the way that this works, as you just described, is that folks can go to the link today in the radio links at tedhartradio.com, uh, and they can find the direct link to stayclassy.org. Uh, and uh, our firm, tedhart.com, has been nominated for its support of the greennonprofits.org uh, organization in the philanthropic business of the year category. So folks can vote in all the various categories, or they can just scroll down and find find us, uh, I guess it's down towards the, the bottom of the page there, and then they submit their ballot. And as you said, people need to vote uh, between now and Friday uh, to see mm -hmm. if uh, uh, tedhart.com might go on to the nationals. Uh, and if we're what, in first place in D.C., then we compete against all the first place around the country. Is that how it works? Correct. So you would compete against the first place for each city for the national award, and then that would be announced at the ceremony on November 7th. Well, that is very, very exciting. Now, I, I saw that you've gotten a lot of uh, online blogs uh, talking about the Classy Awards, and, and you said that you have a, a partnership with, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, NBC. Is that right? Mm -hmm. NBC and a few others. We actually um, just uh, just announcing this week, and I'll, I'll leak a few of the incredible speakers and, and presenters that are going to be there. Um, we actually have Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, who's going to be there presenting and talking about corporate culture with the different nonprofits who will be there. We have Facebook Causes that will be here, be there. We have the president of CauseCast, um, director of the Hands-On Network, um, some, some analysts from CNN that cover philanthropy, and then many, many nonprofit leaders from across the country. So it's going to be an unbelievable networking experience and learning experience for people who actually attend the ceremony, other than just recognizing the award winners. That sounds terrific. You had a, a partnership with LegalZoom as well as some really kind words said about the Classy Awards uh, from the Huffington Post. So it seems like you've got lots of friends. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we tried to make this as open as possible. It's not just about our company, Stay Classy. This really is about recognizing uh, the industry as a whole and some of the remarkable achievements um, that people, businesses, and charities are doing every day across the country that uh, oftentimes don't don't get recognized to the level we're trying to you know we're trying to bring it into the into the public spotlight, um, and people just are attracted to that. It's not about selling for one in, in, individual company. It's really about recognition. Well, I think it's terrific the work that that you're doing, and of course uh, we're thrilled to uh, be nominated because of our work with uh, GreenNonprofits.org. Now you're, you've got uh, voting going on now in Boston, Chicago, Las Vegas. Los Angeles, New York, San Diego, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. So people can vote anywhere in the country, um, but if they want to vote on their local charities and those that are involved with Charity Works, then they can go directly to those cities. Is that right? Correct. There's, there's city tabs on the site, and they can actually get there through the NBC affiliate websites as well if they can't find Stay Classy. But there's a tab for each city. It's very easy. You just click on your city tab, and then the ballot for that city will be there, and you can run through. And you can actually vote for any city regardless of where you're located, but you can only vote once in each category. Well, that, that, that's great. So any of our listeners can, can, uh, can go to the Washington, D.C. tab. Of course, we're making it very easy for folks. They can go directly to the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Now, before I let you go, Scott, um, you, this, uh, the Classy Awards, second annual Classy Awards that are going to be given out on November 7th is hosted by your uh, company, which is Stay Classy. So just give us a little bit of information about what the core business and, and focus of uh, stayclassy.org is which is the host of these awards. Absolutely. We're a, 
a up-and-coming, fresh, new fundraising platform for nonprofits. So we are a, a, a management tool for nonprofits who run all of their online fundraising, do event management, um, and integrate their social media all in one source. Um, ours is attractive, very attractive to the small to medium-sized nonprofit who otherwise couldn't afford some of the larger software that's out there because our base package is completely free. Um, so we're, we're attracting thousands of nonprofits from across the country that we're working with um, to get more and you know, to have a bigger online presence and to start running more of their fundraising online. Well, that's great. Well, we wish you all every bit of success. And, of course, we're uh, very honored uh, to have been nominated in the second annual Classy Awards. And we're crossing our fingers and maybe we'll uh, – be in first place in Washington D.C. and go on to the national competition. Yeah, we wish you luck. And if you do, if you do make it out there, even if you don't, you should come out on November seventh to the ceremony. It's going to be an incredible experience. That's great. Well, Scott Chisholm from StateClassy.org, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Next up here on the, the Nonprofit Coach uh, is uh, information on how to prepare for your very first foundation site visit. So if you're starting to look at uh, foundation grants, if you're looking to build uh, relationships with foundations, uh, then uh, you want to learn all about how you can do the very best job and put your best foot forward. And, of course, we're providing you a link today uh, at tedhartradio.com. Just click on uh, the radio links. Next up here uh, on the radio links comes to us uh, from the AFP International website, uh, afpnet.org, and uh, research uh, that has been released. Uh, that's very good news for those that are looking to attract online donations. And th that is that while we all know a majority of donations are still made offline, uh, Visa, in connection, uh, in partnership with AFP, uh, did some research to identify what's going on with online giving. And what they learned and what you'll find in being able to read this report uh, in the radio links at tedhartradio.com is that only about 9% of donations are made with debit or credit card. However, over the past few years, credit and debit cards donations have been in double-digit growth. And as you know, we've shared with you here on The Nonprofit Coach that online fundraising is one of those very few tools that are available to you that's actually growing. Visa reports a 25% growth in just the past year. So we're certainly getting a lot of attention by donors and by companies that are looking uh, to connect online. So this is excellent. Know the research, know the data, make sure that you're building your online strategy. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, of course, part of our job is to bring to you news from around the world. Uh, and our good folks, uh, our good friends over at philanthropyuk.org uh, regularly share information with us. And today, we're passing along to you a new online giving facility uh, that boosts donations in the UK from Christians, those who are looking to give in support of their Christian faith, and this is called stewardship. Uh, so Mark O'Neill, the CEO of Stewardship, uh, is providing information, so go and read all about it in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Now, I am absolutely thrilled to uh, have the opportunity to uh, bring on to the nonprofit coach right now a good friend of mine uh, uh, who is uh, here with us from Karma 411. John Murcott is joining us uh, here to give you information on what's going to happen, John, one week from today. Tell us all about it. Hey, Ted, can you hear me? 
I can. John Lukow, you're with us. Okay, terrific. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people on. I'm glad you found me in the crowd. Uh, yep, so Ted, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to cover two main uh, important elements. Number one is uh, what's the latest and the greatest and uh, just some updates in uh, social networking and fundraising, but then also really help people prepare for end-of-year uh, online fundraising and uh, viral networking uh, to raise money. And that could be an event, that could be some type of walkathon or other type of uh, activity or just a general uh, end-of-year uh, fundraising effort. That's terrific. Well, I'm really pleased to have this opportunity to be with you again. Uh, the webinar that we did a couple weeks ago was so successful uh, that uh, we're coming back and providing the listeners of uh, the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart an opportunity, as you said, uh, to uh, add punch to your holiday appeal uh, with grassroots fundraising. So today in the radio links, all of our listeners can go and they can click on the link to go directly to the registration page. Uh, this is free of charge. And, uh, John, that's uh, next Tuesday right after uh, Nonprofit Coach with uh, Ted Hart. Uh, this is actually going to take place at 2 p.m. Eastern. Is that right? Uh, it is, yeah, from 2 to 3. Terrific, terrific. Well, I, this is a great opportunity, and I encourage everyone uh, who is listening today to go and check it out. And, of course, you can go directly to the radio links uh, on our website at tedhartradio.com and sign up right there. John Murcott from Karma411, thank you for hosting this webinar next week for our listeners, and uh, thank you for joining us today here on The Nonprofit Coach. Okay. Thanks, Ted. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is another opportunity. Next week is a very busy week. Uh, as uh, John Murcott just shared with you, we will be uh, live uh, on a webinar uh, hosted by Karma411. We're hoping that you're going to sign up for that. Uh, if you happen to be in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, uh, we're going to be partnering uh, with Artez Interactive uh, for a live training, which is available to you uh, on October 29th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, there are two trainings that are available. You can attend the 9 a.m. or the 1 p.m. But here's, here's the, uh, the, the important detail. You need to get yourself invited. Well, you're already invited because you're a listener of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. But you do need to go to the radio links today and scroll down where you will see the phone number that you can call or the email that you can email to asking for a formal invitation because this is an invitation-only seminar. It's free, but space is limited. It's hosted by the United Way of Central Carolinas in Charlotte, North Carolina. So if you're in the area, please stop by. I would love to meet you. Uh, and uh, so next week, two very important training opportunities. Karma 411 on Tuesday right after the Nonprofit Coach webinar, and then later in the week we're going to be live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And next up here as we wrap up with uh, page one on the Nonprofit Coach is an excellent series uh, which is over on CNBC, a really terrific video that we've provided you a link to. They have their Executive Vision series, which is sponsored by Credit Suisse. And you will find today, and we're going to provide you over time, over the next several shows, links directly to some of the better videos. And today I just really like the position that is taken by Paul Barry Walsh, who is the founder and chairman of Frederick's Foundation. Uh, and he reminds us that nonprofits do have operating expenses, and nonprofits do not and should not always spend every dime that they have. Yet nonprofits 
nonprofits should be held accountable. So it is that dichotomy that we're all dealing with. Uh, how do we sustain our charities uh, while building uh, for the future uh, for our organizations? So go and listen to the little video clip, and if you want, uh, you can tour around the entire series guide, which is available today at uh, Ted Hart Radio. Com. Uh, so next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is uh, uh, our page two expert. Don't forget, you can call in live at 347-324-3080. Make sure you press number one and raise your hand so that you can ask a question uh, of our page one, our page two expert. Also, we're over in the, uh, the chat room, so if you'd rather ask a question there, feel free, and you can also email me at tedhartradio.com. With that, we're now ready for people. Dottie Schoenberg is the Vice President of E-Governance at Board Effect and is a renowned expert in the impact of e-governance on the nonprofit sector. She has worked in nonprofit capacity building for over 15 years and is widely acclaimed for her knowledge in how organizations can run better. Dottie was instrumental in developing Board Effect, a secure online portal and information management system for boards of directors. She's a frequent presenter and even more importantly for us today, uh, she is a contributing author uh, to my new book, uh, Internet Management for Nonprofits. You will find her e-governance uh, is good governance chapter is chapter three. So it is my pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Dottie Schingliger. Dottie, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Ted. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me on the show today. Well, it's so great to have you here because every charity, and I have to tell you, uh, I, I, I am now lecturing probably equally uh, on building a powerful board that can fundraise as I am on online fundraising and social media. It is that important for charities. I think this downturn in the economy uh, has made charities even more aware of the importance of good governance. So, Dottie, tell us all about your work and tell us what's going on over at Board Effect. Sure, absolutely. And actually, and just to, to recap on what you've just said, it's absolutely true. It's critical that, you know, for organizations that there's strong leadership at the top, and that's really where it starts, from fundraising through operations, through focus on mission. It really starts at the top. Um, so I, I got interested in this issue of e-governance um, back when I was working at the nonprofit center at LaSalle University because it really seemed that while social media and a variety of other types of technology tools had changed just about everything that nonprofits were doing from fundraising to operations to you name it, it seemed that there was a real dearth <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, technology focused on supporting good governance. It just really seemed like that was the final frontier. Um, there really were not very many tools out on the market that were designed specifically to enhance governance. Um, so I got very interested in this, this issue of e-governance, and really e-governance is the use of technology to improve governance of nonprofit boards of directors. And so I came to um, work with this organization, Board Effect, and we worked together to develop a portal, a board portal, that's specifically designed um, for nonprofit organizations to help them enhance governance workflow. And we launched that system originally at the end of 2007, and we've grown very rapidly ever since. Um, originally, our company was focused on website design and development as well as online tool creation, and now Board Effect is the sole focus of what we do. 
Um, so it's, it's rapidly growing. At this point, the um, statistics show that about a third of all organizations, both for-profit and non-profit, are using some type of portal to manage the work of their boards of directors. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is just get a handle on what is this doing to governance in the nonprofit sector. If more and more organizations are adopting e-governance, you know, what is that actually doing in terms of impact on the nonprofit sector? <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're doing a fair amount of that research these days and uh, working with a number of different partners to get a sense of, you know, what, what are the changes. And what we're, what we're finding um, is that there, there are a number of changes. First and foremost, that boards of directors that are using this type of system are just more engaged in their work. They're better informed about what's happening with the organization. They have better access to the information that they need to do their jobs as board members. Um, and so overall, that just helps to engage them in the work of the organization and just make them better board members. Um, so again, it's, it's still a burgeoning field, as I think all social media continues to be. Um, but it is interesting to see that this was the final place that social media could really have an impact within the operations of the nonprofit. Yeah, this is uh, this is so important for uh, for charities to to focus on the sharing of information uh, that is available for their their uh, their boards of directors. You know, this is an outgrowth, isn't it, Dobby? Uh, I remember back in the '80s there was a, a big movement of sort of dashboard management where boards of directors would be provided with you know sort of basic information that they could make decisions on. It was always a question of what do board members need to know and then then we we sort of had intranets or or sites like that is that is is your portal idea your your platform sort of a marriage of all those ideas where it's a convenient place for board members to go and get data and information um, yeah, it's, it's both a marriage and an evolution. Um, it's a marriage in the sense that, yes, it's certainly based on that same type of technology, that same type of process where you have a secure place um, carved out on the web that board members can go and they can download their meeting materials, they can communicate with one another, they can conduct committee work, they can see the calendar, they can basically just engage in the work that they're, they're doing with the organization. I think where the evolution comes into play is that, you know, sort of in traditional board processes, everything that the board knows, every piece of information that they have um, is always delivered to them by the staff, which is sort of an interesting paradox if you think about it, because the board is the leadership of the organization. They're, they're managing the executive director, but yet all of the information they have about how well the organization is doing is coming from that staff perspective. So one of the ideas of, of e-governance is to provide a way for the board to kind of create their own knowledge um, and over time have one centralized location where that knowledge resides that's apart from the staff um, and really make it a board-owned process and a board-owned portal. And over time, then, you don't lose that information as board members cycle on and off the board. You have a place where that, that information resides. The board owns it and operates it. And, of course, they still get information from the staff. But they can do their own investigation. They can do their own sort of knowledge creation by looking at patterns, by investigating um, current information, and, and coming up with some important questions to ask and important things to, to take notice of. So in a way, it's Exactly. A, it's, and, and there's yeah. so many things that, that board members don't, I, I think, really understand, and that is that they 
form the legal basis for the organization to exist in the first place, and that they are the group that has to be concerned about that long-term governance issue uh, for the organization. I just had a, a client recently in the, in the last month where they were really struggling with their, their executive director who had been there for a long period of time, uh, and they did not even know that they could, uh, that they could fire the executive director. The executive director had sort of led them to believe that uh, they didn't have the power to do that. Um, right. so, so simple things like that really uh, become important to have access to external knowledge and external information. Well, exactly, and and I think you know that's that's a really good um, you know example of the kinds of struggles that I think a lot of organizations have. You know, the the board they often are a group of very well-meaning people that you know are interested in the mission of the organization. They feel passionate about that mission, but they may or may not realize that if something goes wrong, they're liable. I mean, they are the group that gets sued if something goes really wrong, if it goes off the rails. You know, so giving them some tools is just critical. What, what do you uh, tell, tell me a little bit more uh, about the, the portal? Of course, this is, this is something that you uh, encourage charities to have, uh, and you have a product that people can buy. But are there are there free versions? Are are there other ways that, that charities uh, uh, can uh, get to this point? And what is the cost? Right. So those are lots of good questions. Um, so first and foremost, yes, there certainly are a lot of different ways that you can approach e-governance. Um, board Effect is what's known as a board portal, which is a, a type of product that's out on the market. Um, and in terms of the, the cost ranges for board portals, it's really all over the place. I mean, right now, um, there's only a very small handful of board portal products that are dedicated to the nonprofit sector. Um, a lot of them were developed in the for-profit sector for publicly traded companies. And, and so the, the price range is really, you know, from under $10,000 a year to well over $200,000 a year, depending on, you know, size and scope and what type of organization you're talking about. Um, some of the ways that nonprofits have kind of gotten their feet wet in this whole concept of e-governance you know, is to have perhaps a, a password-protected section of their website, um, to begin to email documents to board members as opposed to doing everything on paper. I mean, those are just some kind of beginning-level steps to get to the place where you're ready for full-blown e-governance. Um, the big difference with doing some of those free or low-cost options and doing something more um, complete like a board portal is that once you go to the board portal, it's no longer a tool that's being controlled by one particular person or one particular um, set of staff and pushing information to the board. Now it becomes more of a board-owned tool and the board can interact just the way that you would with other social media tools. So we're seeing a lot of organizations exactly. using, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Now it's one thing to have the tools, but how do you get board members to use the tools? That's a great question, and in fact, one of the areas of research we've been spending the most amount of time on, as I'm sure you can imagine, is implementation. You know, how do you successfully implement e-governance and make sure the board um, actually uses it? And the first step, um, really the most important step, is before you purchase anything, to figure out what you need. <laughs> That's, it kind of goes without saying, but a lot of organizations skip that important step and then have just a whole host of problems down the road. The most important thing is to figure out what about our governance workflow could improve, what do we want to improve, and set up a list of specific concrete goals, and then go out and look at the different solutions and match the features of those solutions to your goals. 
So for example, if one of your goals is to reduce the amount of time and labor involved in putting together the board meeting book and make that process greener, then you should look for the solution that's going to be able to help you know, meet, you, meet that goal for you the most uh, uh, straightforwardly. You want to make sure that you have exactly the right solution to meet that goal. Um, so that's, that's where a lot of the problems come into play. Once you've picked the right solution, then the implementation process should involve a lot of training. Um, and when I say a lot of training, I don't mean a lot of, you know, many hours long training sessions. I mean very short tactical training that's focused exactly on what the board members need to know how to do tomorrow. You know, and you just provide a little and, 10 and minutes. Once you have it, Dottie, once you have it in place, this, this is a, a perfect opportunity for board mentorship where one board member can share this kind of portal and information with another board member, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And in fact, we're seeing that um, what's interesting is, yes, board members can mentor each other. We're also seeing it's interesting is that as new board members come on the board and they go through orientation and part of orientation becomes, here's this software that we use to do our work, something very interesting has been happening. The new incoming board members begin to mentor the veteran board members because for them, right. you know, they're learning everything. Everything about the organization is new. This is no more difficult or challenging than anything else they're learning. So they become experts very quickly, and they begin to help those who've been on the board for a long time who maybe are still confused or trying to figure out how things have changed. So that's been sort of an interesting uh, exactly. shift So this as well. is really about bringing a new level of efficiency to, to the operations as well. I just want to remind our listeners that you can call in to 347-324-3080 to ask a question of our page two expert. We're also over in the chat room if you would like to ask a question there or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Dottie, I do think that uh, we have a caller. Uh, caller, you're here on the Nonprofit Coach. Do you have a question for Dottie? Hi, Ted. This is uh, John Carson. Hey, John, how are you? Great to have you here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, you have a question for Dottie. Um, yeah, I had a question whether you're seeing any um, sort of board dynamics around the pressure to um, merge different uh, nonprofits because they're trying to get kind of economies of scale in these sort of hard times. That's a great question, and, and, and certainly I do think that that is um, something that's being talked about a lot um, out there, especially on the you know, Charity Channel and a number of other places people are talking about, you know, are we seeing more mergers? I think certainly as the economy continues to be a great challenge um, for every organization, nonprofit or for-profit, um, organizations are having to really take a hard look at their operations and think, you know, are we sustainable? Is our mission sustainable? Are we too similar to another organization um, to really be sustainable? And should we consider the possibility of merging or, you know, sharing perhaps um, different expenses with an organization that we might create a strategic alliance with? So, yes, I, I definitely think that there are a lot of those conversations taking place. I don't happen to have um, any particular data to say that it's more now than it's been in the past, but I certainly can say that it's a very frequent topic at conferences these days. There's been a lot of articles written about that, and I certainly think every organization is, is taking a hard look at their own operations and thinking if they can do anything differently, should they. Yeah, John, I think you bring up a very important uh, point here, and that is, I mean, we, we've heard this in the industry for such a long time, and when you, you look at, you know, whatever the number is now uh, at post-IRS uh, dumping a, a few hundred thousand charities off the rolls, but we're probably, you know, still in the, the 1.4 million charity 
uh, range here in the United States. And everybody agrees that's way too many charities and it, it's way too many duplication. But as soon as you start talking about this charity stays and that one goes, then you've got people up in arms and they're, they're supporting their favorite charity. I, I'm curious, John, do you see – uh, uh, through your work, um, do you see uh, mergers, or uh, as Dottie was saying, are you seeing the same thing that we're seeing, and that is a lot of talk about mergers? Well, I think, that, you know, I would say that um, my, my guess is this is going to have a couple of phases. Um, so we're in the phase of a lot of talk, and that's a function that the pressure is building because uh, revenues are down, demand for services are up, and big sort of um, influential foundations, I'm thinking locally, I'm in the Boston area, the Boston Foundation um, is beginning to sort of get the issue out on the table that, you know, do we need to start to merge, uh, you know, some of these smaller groups into bigger groups that have critical mass? That's sort of forcing the boards to sort of engage in that conversation. It's okay to have it. My guess is that over the next 12 months, as the pressure intensifies, the talk is going to start to convert into action um, because some of these groups, they just don't have a choice. And it is a, just, I think we've all talked about it for a while, ever since you were running the E-Philanthropy Foundation, Ted, that, you know, there is sort of a critical mass that's missing with so many of these small orgs. So it's sort of a natural. They really are, and, and, and you're right, money does uh, sort of drive it, although, you know, my fear uh, is and, and what I'm seeing is even in, in organizations that I'm working with that, that I may even recommend that they look for mergers, that it, it almost seems that those boards of directors are willing to go down with the ship and, and not necessarily uh, seek out those merger partners. There, there, there really is, uh, it, it, it's either pride or an entrepreneurial spirit in the nonprofit sector, but boards of directors don't really uh, seem to like that idea, at least as, as a first option. Well, you know, it raises an interesting point. Is one of the critical success factors um, the uh, notion of creating sort of a, uh, a, a transition plan for the board itself? And maybe some people they don't want to give up what is viewed as sort of a, kind of a marquee perk, you know, that they're kind of on a board and so on. So is maybe there's a require there's a need to sort of create kind of a pathway for the board to sort of see something that gives them at least the imprintur, maybe that they're all put on the advisory board or something that gives them sort of a kind of yeah, a graceful way out. Do you, do you have any sense of that? I think John brings up a, a good point that, you know, maybe there's no knowledge of how do you actually do that. That It looks more like failure than it does uh, actually securing the future of, of a mission. Um, do, you, do you provide any, have you, have you had any uh, examples of, of where, what might be included in that kind of path um, in terms of how do you merge those together? I mean, we see it in, uh, you know, in the for-profit world, you know, you, you see, uh, you know, United by Continental, the, the, the president of Continental becomes president of, of United and their logos are merged. Um, you know, what are, what are some standard things that, that you think of need to happen? Sure. Well, actually, it's interesting because one of our clients um, has just gone through a massive merger, the, the Girl Scouts. I mean, so I think probably people are familiar with um, what happened with the Girl Scouts in the last three years. They, you know, originally there were over oh, 500 all about that, councils. All of our listeners may not be familiar with that. 
Sure. So, so originally there were over 500 councils um, of Girl Scouts across the U.S., and in the last three years they decided to um, – they, they really were seeing that there were major issues with having that many councils, and, and many of the councils were very, very small and competing with other very small councils for cookies, for girls, you know, for interest in programs for funding and so on. Um, and so they decided to do a major restructuring, and they merged over 500 councils into 109 in the U.S. Um, and what they ended up doing was a variety of different strategies depending on kind of what the uh, lay of the land was in each particular uh, area. And so for some of the councils, they would select one executive director from the councils that were merging. Um, in some cases, there were executive directors that were nearing retirement age and decided to retire. Um, some just were, were kind of pulled off and were no longer the executive director, maybe served as ad advisors for a while um, while the merger was taking place. The boards had to merge, and in that case, there was a re-election. Um, and so any of the board members who no longer were going to be on the board of directors also served in an advisory role. So they still were involved in the mission of the organization, still involved in Girl Scouts, but no longer as a board member. Um, so it was, it was certainly not a quick process. It was something that um, I don't know exactly how long it took to complete, but I know that it was something that was in process for at least two years. And, you know, certainly was not a pain-free process. I mean, but, but what they looked at were the brutal facts that they, their model was not sustainable. They were not going to be able to continue with that high number of councils. And now I think they've come out much stronger on the other end, um, and, and things have been moving forward um, quite well. But again, it's really important that if an organization is thinking about that kind of process, thinking about a merger, that it's just really done very carefully. I mean, there's a lot of things that merge. It's not just staff that are merging. It's, you know, entire financial structures. It's organization charts. It's the board of directors. It's donor lists. I mean, all of those things are merging. So all of that really needs to be thought through very carefully. Um, and I guess one of the other things I would say just on this issue of, you know, sustainability generally, I mean, while this talk about mergers is, is certainly a very hot topic because of what's happening with the economy, discussions around board sustainability and board succession planning has been around for a long time and is always a good practice for boards to have some idea of what would happen if the organization had to cease operations. You know, what's the exit strategy for the board, for the board members, for the organization, for um, all of the people that they serve. I mean, it's never too soon to have that conversation, regardless of what's happening with the, with the economy. You know, good organizations need to have that sort of conversation in mind. Exactly. And in your chapter uh, in the uh, Internet Management for Nonprofits, Chapter 3, you lay out a very well thought through uh, process of planning, researching, rolling out, and evaluating, and, and you rightly point out that this is this is uh, cyclical, and that you know, these sorts of planning uh, things are not they don't have a stop, a start, and an end. Uh, that you're sort of ongoing, but isn't that one of the challenges uh, that, uh, that that John is is bringing up here? Um, in in that uh, when we're looking at mergers and we're looking at long-term planning for charities, is that uh, often boards of directors are a little bit more short-term. That uh, that we have turnover, and it almost seems that just as you know, one chairman starts making traction towards a, a one uh, position, which might even be a merger. Then all of a sudden, there's a, a new board chair and lots of new board members, and it's almost like starting over. And doesn't your notion of the board portal sort of help create that stability for the board for information? 
Well, absolutely. And in fact, I mean, it's one of the things that really drove me to this work and, and got me very interested in this is this issue of sustainability, just over the long term, not just sustainability from a financial perspective, but sustainability in terms of ideas, in terms of approaches to meeting the mission, in terms of um, organizational structure. And you're right. I mean, as the board um, naturally turns over, if you have no place to capture all of the things that have been created beyond just minutes, you know, really the, the ideas, the conversations, the, the, the feelings that have been imparted into decisions that were made, if you have no place to capture that, that information leaves when the board member leaves. And so it's a real argument to have a board portal that is really owned by the board, operated by the board, creates a knowledge base for the board um, beyond just storing the minutes. I mean, the minutes just tells you the results of decisions. It doesn't tell you necessarily all of the things that went into that decision or all of the different points that were made um, or all of the different ways that people felt about a particular issue. And that kind of context can be so critical. Um, if you're just coming into a board fresh and the organization is on the verge of a merger, it's really important for you to get up to speed fast and understand the issues involved and be able to take action. So it's a really, really strong argument for e-governance. That's great. John, thank you so much for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Don't forget, if uh, you're interested in asking a question uh, of our Page 2 expert today, you can dial at 347-324-3080. Dottie, another reminder that I'll provide to all of our listeners is uh, in the radio links, uh, you will find a link to our newsletter at p2pfundraising.org. Uh, and as always, uh, we share with you one of our hot topic podcasts. Uh, and today we're sharing with you the hot topic of Kendall Webb's original air date of May 4th, where she uh, spoke to us about free online fundraising tools and of all of her expertise uh, as an online fundraising expert. Uh, and just as that uh, 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 nonprofit coach was available by podcast, so will this one. So uh, tell all of your friends about this show today. And about 25 minutes after the show, it will be available uh, by podcast and available for iTunes download uh, at Ted Hart Radio. Dot com. Uh, back to you, uh, Dottie. What's next on the on the horizon uh, for Board Effect? I mean, you're you're out there really uh, pushing this notion, which I, I think is a, a very good one, of creating a portal, creating an information resource uh, that is perpetuated by the board is and is not uh, necessarily only providing information available from staff. So, so the next thing for us, I mean, as we've been doing this research on the impact of e-governance in the nonprofit sector, we've begun to recognize a trend towards what we're, we're for now calling active governance. Um, and it's, and it's a, sort of a slight rethinking of the role of the board. I mean, clearly, the board's role has always been to lead the organization to be the, the stewards of the mission and to ensure the organization has the financial wherewithal and the operational capacity to meet the mission. But what we've been seeing is that in traditional processes, the board gets information that's old. They always are looking at information that's typically at least a month old. Um, and they're often just reacting to what they're reading rather than being more proactive and thinking through how they can take things like the strategic initiatives out of the strategic plan or particular goals that were set up for the year and organize their work and their discussions around meeting um, proactive goals. And so we're seeing that as e-governance becomes more common, um, across organizations, boards are beginning to take a much more active stance 
and their governance role. They're um, really looking for specific pieces of information to inform a strategy, or they're organizing their meetings around strategic initiatives and then using pieces of information that are provided to help inform the next set of decisions. It maybe doesn't sound like such a radical change. I think the part that is uh, more profound is that it's happening in real time. It's no longer being dictated to uh, by the specific meeting schedule. Now board members are getting in there. They're looking at this information in real time. And so they're coming to those meetings with just a a much uh, deeper understanding of what's going on, able to make better decisions, and able to, able to be more nimble. So we're seeing that whole process as what we're calling active governance. Um, and I, I think what's going to happen for us in uh, 2011 is really more research on that issue, um, starting to write some um, papers on that issue, how you can become an active governance board, um, what are some specific steps you can take to get there, and then what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? How is that different from a traditional process? Well, and I think part of what's happening here, I think there's there's several uh, themes that are sort of converging on uh, this notion of e-governance. I mean, one is uh, we're seeing a whole new raft of board members uh, around the world who are joining boards of directors uh, who grew up in the Internet age, who are familiar with online tools and are expecting access to that kind of information, whereas in the past, I think that a lot of board members did wait for the board packet. Maybe they read it or they didn't, but they certainly used the board meeting as sort of one of their sole information resources. And if it happened at that meeting, it happened at that meeting. And I think part of what you're talking about in terms of this active governance is a natural outgrowth of how we all expect to have information available to us, and, and we're not looking for it in the mail. We're not looking for it. Uh, just simply at a meeting. So I think that's one set. The other thing that, that, that I'm seeing, uh, and I think it is related uh, to this current economy, uh, is that a lot of organizations, particularly small organizations that are sort of slightly staffed, um, it's just not enough to have one executive director or one person who has all the ideas and is doing all the work that it really is taking. So it's almost like, you know, uh, bygone days where, you know, dad went to work and mom stayed home, uh, and then, you know, suddenly we're, we're in an economy where, you know, mom and dad need to work. I, I almost feel like that's happening for nonprofits right now, that we need active board members who are working with active executive directors um, or we just simply can't succeed. It's just not enough to just have an executive director. Well, that's exactly right. And, and of course, you know, the, the first point that you said I think also relates to that because, you know, you have people who are coming into the boardroom who in every other aspect of their lives are used to having instant access to information, communicating whatever they have to communicate to whomever they want to communicate it to without any barriers. And then they might come into a more traditional board process and be handed a, you know, binder full of uh, paper and a pen and told, here are the tools you have to do this work. So it's, it's just a very different, um, it's a very different process for them. If they're used to having technology at their fingertips all the time, you know, it can be somewhat of a letdown, a little bit of a disappointment if all that's going to happen is these face-to-face -face meetings without a lot of opportunity for real-time follow-up. Um, until the next face-to-face -face meeting. So I think, it's a, I think it's a real issue. The other thing that we're seeing is that this, this new process is also giving some power back to the nonprofits 
um, you know, as, as nonprofit organizations are really being pushed to professionalize their board, you know, to find board members that fit specific skill sets that they need to, to have on their board, um, you know, they're having to look further and further afield to find those people. You know, they, they may not be in their local community. Um, so having something in place like e-governance frees them to not necessarily just recruit from their backyard. They may need to recruit internationally. They may need to recruit in right. another town. Um, and if they have a well, portal, they can absolutely do that. It's just the asset that they're building um, sends a signal to those high-functioning potential board members that this is a, an organization that takes governance serious. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and one of the things we've been um, keeping an eye out for, because we think it, it may happen at some point down the road, is that not just board members will see organizations as being, you know, quote-unquote better and more sophisticated because they use a board portal, but that also regulators and funders may eventually start to look at those organizations and say, you know, those are more high-functioning organizations. They are giving their board members better access to information. Their board is, is a better operating board. Therefore, the organization is stronger. I mean, there's plenty of research to back up that strong boards of directors equal strong, high-functioning organizations. So if you, if you are investing that, in your that, board, you know, then you're investing in your organization. Exactly. And, that, and, that, and that's so important for, for organizations to understand uh, that dynamic and, and how all that comes together. Mm -hmm. um, to, uh, uh, to support their own organization. Now, I, I, I uh, want to thank, uh, we got an email question here, and I want to thank uh, uh, Deb uh, from, uh, uh, from New York uh, who's asking a question. So we've, we've mentioned several times here on the Nonprofit Coach um, the use of free services like Google Docs and others like that. Can you talk a little bit about how that might dovetail into uh, a solution for smaller organizations that maybe uh, don't have the budget for a, a more professional uh, board portal? Sure, absolutely. I mean, and, and certainly there are many organizations, especially the smaller organizations that are using things like Google Docs or, or Yahoo Groups or Google Groups um, to communicate with their boards. I, I would say just the only thing to be cautious of is you want to just be a little bit careful about the kind of information you would store in Google Docs. It's no knock against Google, but it is a free tool. And as a free tool, when you use it, you're agreeing that they have access to your content. Um, now, not necessarily that they're going to print it out and post it on every street corner, but they do have access to your content. That's how they um, you know, fund things through advertising. So you would just want to be very conscious of that. Um, and if you're storing information in that area for your board, just be very conscious that you know, it's maybe not the best place to store sensitive information. Um, having said that, it certainly can be a way to share, you know, drafts of policies and information about um, the minutes of the past board meeting and perhaps some of the documents for the upcoming board meeting. And that certainly can be a way to communicate back and forth. Um, and certainly also a lot of organizations just use email, you know, and attach things to emails and send them out prior to each meeting, um, and that can also work as well. The same caveat goes there. I mean, obviously, not every email communication is secured, so you just be careful about what you're going to post as an attachment. Right, but it also doesn't have that, that sort of historical archival uh, approach either. So if you're a That's board true. member that joins, you know, six months hence, uh, you don't have access to that, whereas even something as simple as, you know, a, a closed Google group or Yahoo group uh, is a way to at least invite someone to uh, uh, some sort of portal. So there, there are different ways to do that. Um, sure. So I, I, I think I, I'm a big fan of those because I, I, I really think that Board Effect is doing the right thing getting out there and talking about, you know, whether they use your product or not, 
Uh, I think the, the real issue here for nonprofits is that you absolutely cannot manage an organization without information. And the board of directors do need to understand what their, their, their rights and responsibilities are. One of the things that occurs to me that an organization like, like yours really provides, and I see so often, is, you know, as I always say, you know, good board members are, are trained, they're not born. And so few boards of directors actually understand where, what is their responsibility, what is that line between uh, governance and management. Uh, and I think an organization like yours can help sort of adjudicate that, that line um, because lots of people have different opinions. That's absolutely true. I mean, and one of the things that we're, we're always trying to help our clients um, think through and talk about are what specifically are the roles of the board of directors and how can e-governance help to support those roles. So we're always helping them think through, you know, for example, setting policy, um, financial oversight, uh, evaluating the performance of the executive director. I mean, there are clear roles for an online tool to help support each one of those functions. So we're always trying to help out by um, writing white papers, teaching free webinars, um, having phone calls with our clients. If, if we see that they're perhaps struggling or there's some question around, you know, how can the board really make um, use of this tool and how can they take it at, at greatest advantage, you know, really to help them think that through. And when they start to think about all the different roles of the board, you know, sometimes there are particular roles they maybe haven't been performing um, or haven't been performing effectively, and now they have this new system in place, it gives them an opportunity to think differently and work differently. So it's really designed to well, help. It also it sort of democratizes the, the board of directors as well because right. I, I think for a lot of boards, you know, there is assumption that, you know, if you're in leadership or if you've been on the board for a while, you're, you're more equal than I am. And I, I do see a lot of new board members who sort of sit back and even if things don't quite seem right, they don't seem like they have that right to step in and to say, you know, gee, we, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, well, sure. And I think a portal like this that has additional information and resources where you can go and ask those questions and you can get information about, okay, well, what is that line? Well, and, and where exactly do we right. find that Right. I mean, and, and also, you know, in a lot of organizations, it's not particularly clear how you get something on the board agenda. You know, you kind of come to the meeting and the agenda's already set, and it's not totally clear how it came to be. You know, how did things get added to that agenda? And if you're, if you're working together in a portal, there's myriad opportunities for you to connect with the board chair, to connect with the board secretary, to post something for the whole board. You know, hey, I, I have this um, issue that I'd really like for us to talk about at a future meeting. Can we get it on a future agenda? It really holds people accountable. I mean, if you're a board chair, and you've been, you know, controlling that agenda with an iron fist and perhaps not allowing anyone to suggest something, you know, now you have this group of peers who all see that that's happening. So it can absolutely um, democratize the board and give people more opportunities to have input. What, what, do, you, what do you find right now as, as, uh, as we uh, keep our eye on the clock and uh, uh, start uh, winding down here? Um, thinking about uh, board effect, um, what, what comes next for the average board? Now, now arguably, there is a, a certain level of financial wherewithal that would, that would be required for uh, most organizations to engage board, board effect in a big way. Um, but I know that you have an interest in the broader marketplace. So where does the average charity start? 
Well, so so actually, I mean, just to just to go back and, and challenge one thing that you just said. I mean, one thing that we have tried very hard to do with our services is to make them affordable for organizations of every size. Again, our focus is to work in the nonprofit sector, and the vast majority of the nonprofit sector organizations have very small budgets, very small staff, and we we recognize that and acknowledge it. And so the the entry level price point that we offer is actually a subsidized rate um, that we provide to organizations whose budgets are under a million dollars. And so we we really want to try to make sure we can reach the entire What sector. is that rate? What is that rate that, that people can uh, engage you for? Um, so it depends a little bit on the number of users and the number of committees. Um, so typically what we do is, is talk with organizations and find out, you know, kind of what their scope is. Um, but a basic rate right. might be around 2400 per year. Um, and with that, they okay. get training, they get the complete service, um, and they get training both for the board and for their administrators. And that comes all as part of that okay. price. Um, and right. what, we, what we try to help organizations see is that, you know, sometimes that seems like, a, oh, that's a huge out-of-pocket cost for us, but when they really start to tabulate the time that they're spending now, the cost of delivering the materials now, the cost and the lack of security, I think they usually pretty quickly find out it's either going to be a wash um, or it's actually going to end up saving them money. We have a number of organizations that have saved a bundle um, by doing this instead of what they were doing in the past. Dottie Singlager, thank you so much for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. You are the Vice President of E-Governance at Board Effect. I cannot thank you enough for the leadership that you're taking in the nonprofit sector. It really means a lot, and I encourage everyone to check out Dottie's chapter in Internet Management for Nonprofits. We'll be back next week with Jed Alpert, who is the founder and CEO of Mobile Commons. If you're interested in mobile technology and fundraising and advocacy using mobile technology, make sure you join us right back here on The Nonprofit Coach next week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.